got it. Hello, Aspies, and welcome to a very special edition of Inside the Asperger Studios. I'm joined with Brandon, who's going to tell us how he literally turned his whole entire life around while dealing with having autism. Brandon, welcome to the show. Hey, Reed. Thank you for having me on. Not a problem. So why don't you give everyone out there a little bit of background on yourself and what you had to do to turn your life around? Yeah. So, you know, I, I found out at a, at a very, very young age, you know, even before the age of like 15 months, my, at a mother who was very, you know, very involved, kind of knew something was different about me the moment I was born. And one of the things that she did was go to different doctors. And obviously, you know, some doctors thought she was crazy. Some of them thought we were like, um, she doesn't know what she's talking about. And it wasn't until she took me to a doctor in Maryland who actually um, officially diagnosed me with uh, PDD. Uh, and for people that don't know what that is, it's pervasive development disorder. So I was on, you know, the higher functioning of, of autism, but it was at that time kind of like on that line saying like, oh, it's not really autism or yes, it is autism. So that was something that, you know, for her, you know, she, she took it like, oh, now I really got to help my son to for me like i had no idea what was going on i i mean yeah it was different because i was in different classes and i was in different you know kind of in other scenarios it was so different for me so for me it was really just you know putting in the hard work and really kind of saying to myself what do i have to do to you know not say feel normal but more of what do i have to do for myself to kind of get the respect of of my peers and of uh, like teachers and coaches. So, you know, I went to a school in Suffern, New York called Viola Elementary. And I happened to have been the first one in my school to actually be integrated in the regular classes and special ed classes. And that was a push from my mother who, you know, to this day, I always thank because she did everything she could. So I was the first one for that. Uh, in middle school, it was the same thing. I kind of broke barriers there. Uh, I was fortunate enough to also be a two to three sport athlete at my in my district. I played football, lacrosse, a little bit of soccer, did a little bit of track and field. And by high school, uh, it was kind of like, OK, I, I'm in two classes of special ed and regular classes, and I'm also an athlete. So my goal then was just proving to people that people on the spectrum can do what 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 normal people could. And I really, really pushed myself in every capacity, you know, even on nights like, you know, in our town, hockey's a huge thing so that when all the community would come, I would want to come. So I went my brother took me to a bunch of games and, you know, I, I followed my high school hockey team throughout the season even from freshman year all the way to senior year actually my senior year we started a broadcasting club where i actually got to broadcast our hockey games and for me it was a, a cool experience just because you know i was broadcasting my friends but i was also kind of showing the town like hey you know you're able to watch some games but you're also going to listen to someone uh on the spectrum you know kind of talk about it yeah uh, i've had that experience too when yeah. i was in college in University of Oshkosh for a, for a term, mm-hmm. I joined, I was looking for something for me to do. Well, for the short time, they had a position open in the radio station. Mm-hmm. So I became this DJ for a day. So it was quite an experience to sit there, have people call in and say, hey man, can you play this for me? Or hey man, can you do that? 
it was it was a chance for me to like create my own persona. Right. And and for me, that was like one of the cool things because you know, I in a lot of ways I love stats and like all the sports stuff. So like whenever our high school team like had any sport it was, if, if I was really into it, I would actually like go up to the coaches and to the players, like, hey, you know, you're two points out of first place. Some of them were like, How do you even know that? And I'm just like, ah, just kind of doing the math and, and also just going online a good chunk of the day. So you know, then, you know, when it came to my season, I played football and lacrosse for, for high school was really helping my team in any way I can, whether it's on the practice field or then in the games. And and even then I was telling my coaches what players we need to watch out for, what type of defense we should run. And and it really got me to think like, hmm, maybe maybe something with sports is something I want to do. So the next step after that was I went to a program called the Threshold Program, which is part of Leslie University. Uh, it's actually considered one of the oldest programs in the U.S. And it was the first real program in Massachusetts to let people on the spectrum kind of go to college, which for me at the time, you know, that was my, I, you know, my brother went to a normal college. I used to go visit him. And my thing was, I want to have that same experience. Rather, it's with a program or if I have to just struggle in college. Well, luckily enough, I found this one. Uh, I was actually the first one in my class to get accepted. What? Hang on. I'm in the middle of a show. Go on. <laughs> no, cry away. So I was fortunate and I was blessed to kind of get into that program. I was actually the first one in my class to get in for that year. And, you know, I, I had you know, the four best years of going to school in Boston and living there and all that fun stuff. So it's, you know, it was kind of a wild ride. My first, you know, of those years of life, if you know what I mean. I kind of do because when I first went to college for me, it was online schooling. I decided to do it online because it was easier for me. I got my degree. I got Mm -hmm. my bachelor's degree in um, information technology. Yep. Of course, oh, wow. it was kind of. Of course, it was kind of funny. My degree spelled out B S I T. It was a bachelor's in science and information technology, and I graduated with a three point oh four. Wow. Yeah, or a three point oh five actually. So I graduated with like a B plus, and, and then, and I proved to myself that I could do this. Mm-hmm. And then an offer came to me. They said, hey, do you want to continue on and get your master's? And I'm like, well, not at this time. Money is an issue. So I waited. And then maybe a few years down the road, you know how when you're browsing online, you fill out the form forms without even thinking? Right, yeah. I filled out this one form for a college and never even thought about it, what it was at the time. And then I get a call. I'm sitting with my mother and I get this call and saying, hi, Reed, my name is so-and-so. I'm calling from the University of, it was Colorado Technical University, and this is how I got my online degree. Mm-hmm. Well, I graduated, four years came, about 2014, we're at the vet and we're talking with one of the girls behind the desk and she's talking about this program called Across the Pond. And what yep. it is, is they help students research schools and choose schools across the seas mm-hmm. in England and in, in, Ireland, and in Scotland. 
So I said, oh, maybe I should do something like that. So as we're leaving the vet, I turned to my mom and I'm like, you know, this is an opportunity of a lifetime. I should look into it. I got nothing going here. I applied to five schools, got accepted by four. Wow. Yeah. So, and I said to myself, this is the only chance I'll get to have what a real college life experience is. Mm-hmm. So I know what you're feeling. You wanted that college life experience. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I, and I was blessed with that because the program itself, it, it really shows you you know, what you can do. Uh, so the program itself is a two-year program. And, you know, when you get there, one of the first things they actually teach you is, is transportation, you know, taking a bus, taking the train, taking, um, you know, whatever it was. And, and for, you know, Boston's such a great city that you can get around. Like, like I, I tell people I could go that to that city every day and I'll still know exactly where I am. It, it truly was a blessing and it was truly a an amazing experience just going to college and you know i i truly also love the game of lacrosse so mm-hmm. they, my school didn't have an actual team so what i did was play in a semi-pro league which played against a lot of guys who graduated who were still in school so i got to play guys from like harvard and tufts and like some, some pretty competitive schools and you know, i met this one kid from another school who was like hey you know we are looking for an extra guy do you want to play so I was like, yeah, you know, I don't see why not. So I got the gear. I got to play with them at, in the local games. And, you know, for me, it was like, all right, I've proven to myself for certain people that people on the spectrum can play this sport. But I really want to take it to the next step. So a couple of years, of, couple of years later, I got the opportunity. I actually, my grandfather found this in a newspaper where I get to play lacrosse in Israel. Now, Holy you know, shit. Yeah. Now being Jewish and playing a sport you love in a country that, you know, I've been to four times. I'm Jewish too. Yeah. I I literally was like, I got, I got to take this opportunity. And when I got there, you know, the team I was on was a bunch of guys that just truly loved the game. And, you know, I kind of disclosed my thing just to kind of be like, look, this is what I have. It's nothing crazy. I, I can play with you guys. There's no problem. And I was blessed enough where I played against some of the best kids from other colleges and from other countries. And to have one kid come up to me, like, say, like, I believe you can play. He goes, it's really could you pl- believe in yourself. And once he said that, I, I look back on him like, you know what? I, I do. And I, and I get where he was coming from. And I was blessed to win the SDX um, Sportsmanship Award, which – you know, when I was there, I, I was representing a city. I was representing myself. I was also representing my family. So as hard as I played, I never wanted to be a jerk it, because it's a, this sport really got me to be where I am. And that's also credit to my brother. You know, if I don't get the amount of wealth that he gave me, I, I'm not the lacrosse player I am. So, like, for me, I think now – you know, when I was younger, I used to say all the time, and I'm sure you're the same thing, like, oh, why was I born with this? Why why did God kind of throw this at me? And I, I was kind of like, not in a depression, but I was just so mad of during my lifetime of like, why do I have to deal with this? And it wasn't until I met Francesco, who's my life coach, who kind of, I'm not going to say he set me straight, but he kind of opened the door and kind of opened up some light bulbs for me. And I finally realized, like, you know what? I think the man upstairs gave me this for a reason. Not as a curse, but more of like what my old director said, as a gift. So I look at my disability now like this is my gift, and I'm 
and I can control myself and I can control what my disability gives me. So it was in that sense, it was something like, all right, this is what I have. Now I have to kind of suck it up and deal with it. So, I mean, it might sound cliche, but it's just how I feel. And I, and I've really gone done some good things since then. That's great. I mean, to hear that you literally show people, I mean, it's like, it's the same thing I believe in is, Hey, we, we are people too. We can do anything we put our minds to. Right. And you know, know, it's interesting too is, and I don't know if, if you have felt this, but you know, my friend, one of my buddies who I met through the program has actually said, like, I really feel like there are people out there who really don't understand people like us. Yeah. And I say, I'm like, you know what? You're right. You are, you're right on a lot of levels. But, you know, sure enough, I do have other friends that didn't go through the program who, you know, they, they treat me like a, a person. You know, if I'm acting kind of silly and they don't think it's appropriate, like they'll tell me straight up. And, and I'm great to have friends like that because if I didn't, yeah. and, you know, I could be doing dumb things right now. Yeah, I mean, it's the same thing. I, I'm fortunate enough to have a few good friends who where I'll save where I'll say or do stupid things and they'll literally understand and they, they'll say, hey, Rhea, I know you don't you don't mean it. I mean, like right. I have a really good friend who I traveled with. Mm-hmm. We used to, uh, we've gone to Florida a couple of times and we've gotten um, cabin good. fever because it was raining and we got stuck in our hotel room and I just go literally nuts because I was bored and I just start speaking off out of the top of my head and he's like, dude, you don't mean what you're saying. You're just frustrated. And I'm like, yeah, I just yeah. wish, I mean, I think the problem with society is they don't understand us in general. They don't understand autism and you're scared of it. Right. It's also, in my opinion, I think when you look at the eighties and the nineties, that's when parents are really, really fighting and they were really pushing, you know, for equal opportunity. I think if you look at today's autism of, you know, with these different programs or, you know, these schools have kind of upgraded to what they are now, you know, there are some parents who I feel they're, they're not, you know, making that push like our, our parents did. And, and in a lot of ways, it's kind of sad because I, I still feel if this kid, if this young man or young woman is going to find their potential, then they have to they have to be pushed and they have to do what is uncomfortable for them. That's so true. I mean, because I mean, like I've told Jacqueline and I've told Francesco, listen, I'm a firm believer of stepping outside your comfort zone. And if you don't do that, you're going to walk around life with blinders on you and you're going to miss everything else in front of you. If your parents don't push you, you don't push yourself. You don't take chances. There's a whole lot of everything you're going to miss. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm again, I'm fortunate that I had a mom who was who was my voice for a long time. It wasn't until, you know, I would say when I was 18, junior year of high school, you know, you go in at the end of the year, you kind of talk to your teachers of like what you want to take for classes what you want to do for um, your, you know, what you want to do after. And one of the things that I remember was this teacher was trying to tell me I should go to this certain program. 
And I said, no, you know, this is not going to help me. Majority of the, the work that they're showing is, are like college level classes that I can't take yet. I was a junior in high school. You're, you're making it seem like I'm going to be great as this college student at this program that doesn't even have what I want. So I fought during that whole time and I got what I needed for the classes to stay at suffering. So, yeah. And that's credit to my mother, because if she doesn't have that mouth, I don't have that mouth. That's typical. That's a typical Jewish mother. That's my mother for me. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't know if you've had the same issues growing up as I did, or even with like work and stuff. I had volunteered at two different museums here in Chicago, yeah. the Adler Planetarium and the Field Museum. Mm-hmm. Oh. Adler Planetarium, after a while, <laughs> didn't like some of the things I did. People complained. Like one kid complained and he called me, a, said I called him a job stealer, which was, which was a joke in my behalf. It was, you know, it was my non-filter speaking out. Yeah. And some other little things, and they decided to move me away from the public and put me in some place I was bored out of my mind. And I still think somewhere along the lines, I may have self-sabotaged myself. It's funny you said that. I was working at a supermarket when I came back from college where I was, you know, I'm a, I'm a personal person. Like I want to help people out. I want to explain certain things to them. And what they tried doing was putting me in the back to do dishes. So sure enough, that was like, all right. And then I come back and I'm, and I find I'm not on a schedule. So I'm thinking to myself, all right, something's up. And then the boss that I had who, you know, I thought between us, it's not nice at all. was trying, I, I didn't know what he was trying to do. He was trying to basically say, I'm not on the schedule. I'd hear back from him and then I would never hear back. And they were trying to fire me. So I took matters in my own hands and I went to human resources and I said, Hey, this is a situation going on. And I know what, what he doing. Like I know it. So I came back, they switched me in a different department and he's about to say something. I go, no, they told me to do this. If you want to hear it from them, you can hear it from them. They actually threatened him to, wow. to possibly to back off. So every time I saw him, it, it was just kind of like, he gave me that dirty look. I gave him that dirty look. It's, you know, I didn't respect a guy who thought he understood when he didn't. And, okay. and to, like, go on. Yeah, to this day, you know, if I ever saw him, like, I wouldn't give him any sympathy because it's like, you don't understand. I know how that feels. When I when I was younger, <laughs> I worked over at Office Max. Yep. I was working for a week and all of a sudden I noticed I wasn't on the schedule for an entire week. Then I'd mm-hmm. call and they're like, check back next week and check back next week. I'm not on the schedule. And I realized I know what they did. They just took me off the schedule is their way of saying, hey. We don't have to pay for um, unemployment for you because we didn't fire you. We just took you off the schedule. Right. At the time, I didn't know what to do. So I just let it go. I'm like, I'm going to come back home. And my mom's like, what's wrong? I'm like, I'm no longer on the schedule. They did the cheap way of letting me go. Mm-hmm. They didn't tell me to my face. They just took me off the schedule. Now, Going forward, when I was at the Field Museum, I was there for a year and a half, and I kept getting the same complaint from my supervisor. Volunteers are saying I'm standing too close to them. Now, in my mind, I'm thinking, why don't they tell me to my face? Yeah. Why go to a supervisor? And I brought this, she pulls me aside, and she's like, 
we're getting complaints that, that, that the volunteers are saying you're standing too close. So I turned to her and I go, why don't they just tell me? And her first words were, people don't want confrontation. I'm thinking, really? Then how, do you, how are they going to get anything done if they're going to tell you? And then you come to me later in the week and that's over with. It's like telling a dog they're bad hours after a dog's done something. Yep. Am I supposed to remember what I did? Right. It happens three different times. And the third time, second time, they pulled me off for a month. Mm-hmm. They told me to take a month off and then come back. I did that. Everything was fine, fine, fine. And then finally, the third time around, they come back and go, we're going to have to let you go. And also, they say, we don't like the fact that you're going around trying to figure out who, who ratted on you. It's negative for us. And I'm thinking, really, then how am I supposed to co- talk to the person, find out why they don't like what I did? And I have every right to figure out, find out who told me, who, mm-hmm. who read it on me. And right. then they go, oh, yeah. And then the worst was they tell me, oh, we, we thought by giving you a month off, you'd come back a different person. You'd be changed. And I'm like, you can't change what I am. It's who mm-hmm. I am. I told you people I had autism, I had ASD. I even sent my supervisor a PDF file on how to work with people with autism. I bet you she just deleted it or just <laughs> filed it away and never even thought about it. And then later, like months back, months afterwards, I emailed the president of the museum and I just get a blanket email saying, thank you. I'm like, I'm not going to mention names or anything, but I think you need to put your people through a sensitivity training. And I like it. It's thank, thank you. I'll keep this in the file and for future use. See, I, my problem right there is it's, it's exactly what they do. They, you say something and then they shrug it off. And it bothers me in so many ways because we are people too. Mm-hmm. But the moment you disclose it, they kind of just look at you like, uh-oh, well now we got to treat them differently. Y- you don't. Just no. Just treat me how I want to be treated. Let me do my job and everything will be fine. And I think the big – and I think my big thing now is because I, I try to be an advocate for you know the next generation because it's, again, how I look at it, you know – from the 60s all the way to the 90s to now, you know, we all went through our own stuff. I mean, there there are some people who went through much tougher things than we did. I know that. But, I got a friend who's much worse than you or I. He's got ADHD. He's severe ADHD. He's a little higher up on ASD, but he's got more sensory issues. Mm-hmm. And... He's got POTS and he's, he can't get work. And he's still saying to me, should I, he's like, I'm, I'm afraid to put down that I have a disability because I'm thinking that's why no one's hiring me. And I'm like, well, you can't, I'm like, it's a, it's a catch, catch. It's a catch 22 situation. You can't get a job unless you have experience and you can't get experience unless you have a job. And is it illegal to ask somebody if they're on, if they have a disability and to ask if they are on SSI. Right. Well, you know, that's interesting. So talking to Francesco, he actually said it is illegal. Like they can't, like they don't like legally, they don't need, or they don't have to know what you have. 
it, it is in the the law of bylaws of a, a person on the spectrum doesn't have to tell them what they have. Now, sure, if one of those things kind of comes out during a work thing or during a break where, you know, you're letting off your stimulation, they're like, oh, you know, what's that? You don't have to answer to that person. You don't have to answer to anyone. I, I'm fortunate enough that, you know, again, I, I had a very good PTOT therapist who really worked with me on because I'll tell you, you know, I tell people, you know, I played football, lacrosse and did all this stuff. But when I was a young kid, I couldn't move my like left leg with my right leg. I couldn't do anything athletically. It's because of them that I'm able to like play sports now and really be more hands-on. Cause if I don't get that work, I'm probably just sitting there in my room, twiddling my thumbs or playing video games and not doing anything. You're a real, um, you're a real, um, okay, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, okay, what is, <laughs> I hate that it happens. You're yeah, a real I, model for ASD. I mean, you're like you, you and me are like, we are like people, we are someone they should look up to because look at what we have done with our lives. Right. We've taken our lives and said, hey, we, we can't do this stuff, but yet we literally turned it around and made something of it. Right. And, you know, I, I'm fortunate enough that I had a director from the program I went to who, you know, the man was the most humble, loving, supportive person for people like us. And, and when I say that, like, there is no other director I don't, I think I'll ever meet that will be close to be as close as what this man was. You know, he believed in what mm -hmm. you were. He believed in what you could do. And the amazing thing with him was he was actually the reason why I, I tell people your disability is a gift, not a curse. And you just have to find it. And, you know, when he first told me that, I was like, no way. I'm like, I'm just, like, you're, you're, you're kidding. But the more I got older and started realizing it, the more I'm like, wow, he, he's absolutely right. And he, he's somebody where you could type up his name. You can look up what he's done for our program. And, you know, he literally built a mini campus for us. Like we have our own, like, so dorm wise, which is really unique. We actually got to live in the same dorms as like the regular students. He pushed for that. And then by the time I graduated, he was pushing for getting our own dorms, getting our own type of little mini campus but still inclusive with the university, which was super important because kids like people like us do want that. And what people don't know is like, there's like over about maybe 400 programs in the U S at certain colleges. Mm -hmm. Every kid wants that college experience rather. It's going yeah. to like, rather say like, Oh, I want to go to Clemson and go to every football game. Perfect. There's a program for that right now. Where'd you disappear to? <laughs> oh, sorry. All right, I'm back. <laughs> yeah, I, I know what you're feeling. I mean, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I mean, I was looking to go for, when I was looking to go for my master's, I originally thought, oh, maybe I'll go to, um, one of the Ivy League schools. Oh God, what is it? Um, <laughs> God, my mind's a blank. When I was a young kid, I always my one of my big dreams was actually go to Princeton. Oh, I, oh god! What is a school that's big with electronics? That's oh, in Pittsburgh. I, is it MIT? 
No, not MIT. It's in Pittsburgh. Oh. Starts with a C. I honestly don't know. Well, I wanted to go there, and then I looked it up, and I'm like, they want $50,000 per semester. I'm like, no, thank you. But, you know, that's the other thing I've noticed is, you know, even now, scholarship opportunities are limited to people like us as well. That's, that's one of the huge things. I mean, there are none for us. Very well, you know, small. Very small. Well, uh, the program I went to actually did start one right after I graduated. And I was like, oh, if only I was just waiting a little bit more to go to college and I could have jumped on it. But yeah. at this point, it is what it is. But the fact that they are building that is a huge step. Now, let me ask you, Reed. Did you watch the show Love on the Spectrum? No, I know Francesco pushed me to watch that. Yeah, he, he did the same with me. So I actually, the moment he told me about it, I did watch it. And, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm watching people, you know, I'm watching the people on the show who are on the spectrum and who are, you know, looking for their significant other. And that show for me was kind of like, wow, maybe I can find someone. I mean, as, as silly as it sounds, I thought the intentions of it was really, really good. Um. I mean, some of them were a little bit mid-functioning or lower-functioning. Yeah. That's what I've noticed. That a lot of them are lower than the high-functioning. Right. Well, I understand the show itself. You know, they were kind of going that route just to see how they would do on the viewership. But the way I look at it is you want to show more people on the higher-functioning of what they can do. Because if you think of it, more and more shows like that or just stuff online have always led towards – the lower functioning community, which I have nothing against. I think it, it's amazing what they do now to get themselves where they are. Well, but for people like us, it's no. like they're still hiding us for no reason. I mean, that reminds me of a story. There's a YouTuber that I had interviewed a while back. He's got a huge following. He is a, uh, he's autistic like us, high functioning. Mm-hmm. And he was going to be put on a show, this TV show where they put you in an apartment for, I think for a month. And, yep. they, and they just follow you around. They were getting him all set up and he was, and they did all the be reels and all the interviews. And just before he was about to set off and go, he gets contacted by their people. And he says, Hey, listen, we decided not to go with you. We, we're going with two other people. And it turns out they went with two other people who had more visible disabilities than something invisible. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem with autism is it's, it's a disability you don't see. Right. I mean, I, I have gotten where I could walk around on a normal life scale. No one will know what I have. No one can see what I have. And it's funny when I like one of the best things I've ever gotten which I, I actually kind of took as an insult too. It's like, oh, it looks like you, you know, you grew out of it and you're cured from your disability. Uh, first off, I'm not cured. No. I'm like, what I said, what I've done for myself is pretty, like, and I'll say, I, for what I've done for myself, I'm happy what I've done. But to say that I'm cured, like, if there was a cure today, I probably would have been taken hit by now. But there's not. It, no, there is no cure. Right. And, it's not a problem. There's no cure. If they find a cure in five years from now, maybe I'll look into it. But, you know, again, I think the man upstairs gave us this disability for a reason because we could handle it. As crazy as I sound, that's just how I feel about it. I mean, 
we didn't know I have I was on the spectrum for the longest time. I mean, when I when I was my parents always knew something was different. Yep. They knew I had problems with reading and I had problems with math. Yep. So I got tested and they said he's dyslexic. And I was also I also had ADHD. Mm-hmm. Later in life, I might I'm on the I'm on a computer call with my father at my mom's cousin's law firm, helping him do computer work. Mm-hmm. And she's watching me and stuff. And she tells my mother one day, she's like, "I've been watching Reed and the way he acts and behaves and stuff. I think he's on the spectrum." Interesting. And then we have a cousin out in Carbondale, Illinois, who's a, a um was a, a um, counselor in the college there, and she noticed the same things. Now, the funny thing is, f- flash forward to after I graduate from university, mm-hmm. I'm talking with one of my friends that I made there, and she, out of the blue, she goes, can I ask you a question, a personal question? And I'm like, sure, I'm an open book. She's like, do you have autism? I'm like, excuse me? What what gave that away? I'm like, yeah, I do. She's like, well, I part I work with kid, younger kids who are on the scale, and you exhibit some of those traits. I'm like, like what? She's like being over friendly, not knowing what to say and when to say it. Mm-hmm. She's like, I'm like, yeah. She's like, have you ever thought of doing any trying to figure out what to do? Or are you seeing someone? I'm like, well, not currently, but yeah. She's like. I knew something was different with you when I met you. But she was such a sweet girl. I mean, literally one day I was at my society meeting and she goes to me, come with me. Well, we were eating and she's like, come with me. We'll go over, walk together to the society meeting. And she turns to me and go, it must be hard for you out here. I'm like, why? She's like, well, you are surrounded by so many different cultures, so many different languages you're thousands of miles across the sea. You're taking one of the most advanced courses. It must be hard for you. I'm like, yeah, it is a bit of a struggle. But I managed to graduate with a postgraduate um, certificate or diploma. Mm-hmm. Not a full master's because they deemed my, dis- my um, dissertation wasn't master's worthy and I failed one course. Oh. But I did it on my own. I mm-hmm. lived on my own with no, with no help from my family. I cooked, I shopped, I managed my banking problems, and I ma- and I made a life for myself. So I proved to a lot of people that you could be on the spectrum and still live a normal life. Oh yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I'll tell you this: I didn't actually get my driver's license till I was twenty, twenty three, twenty four, and that was a mm. huge step for me because. In high school, I used to get driven by my buddy, and we actually got into an accident. Oh, and yeah. I was at that time, I was actually preparing to take the permit. But when that happened, I went through a whole phase of like, can't do it. I, I was like <laughs> almost kind of too shooken by it. But when I got home and I was like getting driven around, I'm like, no, I can't do this anymore. I, I, I got to just bite my tongue and just go with it. And, and sure enough, you know, I, I did pass the permit, but then, you know, my driving test, I passed it on the first try, which was great. Um, say drove my grandfather actually helped purchase my first car. And then the second car I just got was money that I saved up. And I said, all right, it's time to buy myself a new one, which I did. Well, I, go on. Yeah. And I love driving it. And 
you know, it goes back to what my mom always says, you know, things happen to me later in life. You know, I wasn't typical of like getting my license at this age or it wasn't until this and it wasn't until that. And even now, you know, I, I, I'm now blessed to have a girlfriend who I met, we've been together now for about three months and, you know, makes me happy. And, you know, I, I see what my mother has said about, you know, just letting things happen later on. Yeah. I mean, I know what you're talking about. I mean, I didn't get my license till I was 30. Oh, wow. I, yeah. I mean, I didn't, I went for school, tried to get, I had my permit and stuff. I think I was kind of nervous. I had an instructor who had a weird sense of humor. He had a cast on his foot and I go, what, what happened? And he goes, Oh, a student drove over my foot jokingly. And I, and I took that to heart and kind of was scared and I didn't, and I didn't get my license and I waited till I was about 30 years old and I, I took it on my first time around with a driving instructor and I passed. You know, it's funny because at least you had the sense of humor guy. I had the guy who was like serious and all this and I'm sitting here like he's going to find some way to get me to fail. I don't know how, but he's just going to do it. Luckily, you know, I was I passed and he was kind of like, well, you did one thing wrong here, but you're good. Here's your license. I'm like, all right, cool. Well, what happened with me was when I actually went for actually driving school, Mm -hmm. I had an instructor who drove me and I made one mistake. Yeah, I when I was turning back into the lot, I didn't turn on my turn signal. Uh Oh, and he he's like right there and I come in. And he's like, you didn't turn on your turn signal. I'm like, well, there was no one behind me. He's like, you still need to turn on your signal. So I come back in and my mother is like, well, what happened? I'm like, well, I didn't get it. He's like, why not? Because I didn't turn on the turn signal when we came into the lot. My mom's like, okay, go back in line, go for it the second time around. And I did and I passed. Now, the thing before, after I came back from school, though, I stopped driving. We moved to a different part of town. Mm-hmm. And I just haven't gotten back into a car. Okay. Interesting. You know, I, I, I kind of want to ask you this. I know our meeting with Jacqueline and Francesco in that social group one, you, they said you lived out in Europe. Um, yes. Where did you live? I was in Canterbury, England. Canterbury, for okay. a year for school. Wow. I... I was in the postgraduate um, colleges. We mm-hmm. they had a the postgraduates live like on campus. Yeah, which was nice for me because one, it was a small campus. Two, I was literally walking maybe five minutes to every class. Mm-hmm. So I spent a year there, and then I spent six weeks traveling for Europe on my own. Wow. See, that's really cool. I, so the program I went to, um, a woman there started a, um, a travel adventure of us going to different countries. So with them, I was able to go to Italy and Portugal and it was just a really cool experience. But when I went to Israel by myself, that was the real first test for me of flying by myself. Like I was, and what's funny is people don't realize you know, I flew to the Middle East. You know, I didn't fly to like Europe and I didn't fly to Australia or there this or that. You know, I was like, I want to go to Israel and I want to really fly there myself. 
I tell people to this day, I felt probably more safer there than I did some parts of here. <laughs> well, that's because it's so much secure out, out there. It, but you it's got people great. walking around with machine guns. Right. But it's like, it's the security that you could feel comfortable with. Yeah. And, and they, I was welcomed with so open arms. I even had one guy trying to offer me to live there. Wow. And I said to myself, like, Ugh, if, if they didn't have my niece and nephew back at home and, and all that stuff, I probably would have done it. But it's kind of funny. Like my parents or like my mom's like, why don't you get a job out there? Why don't you live out there? I'm like, do you realize how hard it is for me to live out there? They don't want Americans taking their jobs. It is so hard and impossible. Plus the fact they do something we don't do. They look at your grades and see what kind of grades you get in college. And that determines how you, how, how good, if you're going to get hired, depending on your grade. Uh, you know, that's, and it's really unique with that. And I have also, you mentioned something that really struck to me that I've also noticed. So in love and the spectrum, the system they have for the people or the programs and stuff and the systems they have for the people out there who are on the spectrum are it's like amazing how like well respected they are over there, and, and they Europe, treat and they well, treat Europe the, is um, very well respected with and when it comes with autism. I mean that's I've picked up on that everywhere. I'm a lot of people I've talked to, and they said Europe is more accepting of those of us on the spectrum than we are here. They're a little bit more forward thinking. Right. Well, you know, it's interesting. When I was in Israel, they actually, I think a couple years ago, Prime Minister Netanyahu started a thing for people on the spectrum who want to join the Israeli army. Now, obviously, they're not going to go on the battlefield and, you know, fight or whatever. But what they do is like the, the, the little things they do is what helps their army still be successful. You know, they have some of them train their their dogs. Some of them are working the, you know, Israeli offices. Some of them are working you know, to help clean the the weaponry. Like, it's really cool that they're giving them that service of like, mm. I'm not fighting, but I'm still serving my country proudly. And I think that's something that's really, really cool. Yeah, um, that is cool. We're never going to see something like that here. And, you know, I, I, would, I wouldn't say never, but I definitely think there definitely needs to be more of the opportunity. I, I don't know when, I don't know how, but it, it does need to happen. Because I remember... You know, when that woman who was running as secretary of education, you know, when she was talking about cutting. Yeah. When she was starting cutting about the Special Olympic Fund, I was at the point where I even said to my my friends, like, guys, the next time you see me, I'm going to be on TV because I'm probably going to be one of the, the protesters there. <laughs> like I was, I was full on ready to get in my car, go to D.C., sit outside the White House and protest for that. Luckily, Nothing happened, but you know, in my head, it's like so. It's okay to give more people not on the spectrum these opportunities. Yet these people on the spectrum who want to be part of an Olympic tradition, and you're going to just take it away from them. I mean, you look at what our so-called president wanted to do. He wanted to eliminate SSI and all this stuff, but yet he's got a son who's on the spectrum. And that's the thing that bothers me because it's like, how do you know that your your kid's not good at something that you may not know it? And you know, I gotta tell you, it's it's people who do do the greater good for people on the spectrum 
and you really see what they can do. You know, there is that one family who started a cafe business in North Carolina. Now they have a bunch everywhere. Well, it's like I was one of my interviews. I talked with this mother who's got a son on the spectrum and she, mm-hmm. she wrote a story about a family who had a son on the spectrum, I think, and he couldn't find work. So they created work for him. And now they have a chain of car washes all over. No, it's, but it's great. It's, but something like that makes me thrilled to know that if God forbid, if I were to move somewhere and I could find one of those places, like I could work there and they understand me. And and that's where I think, you know, yes, it's great to have programs like best buddies and autism speak and this and that. And it's great that they're creating these opportunities, but I still feel there's that one little hole or that one little door that's kind of not opening because there are still people out there who don't want to let them or show what they can do. Yeah. I mean, you need more, I mean, you need more organizations out there to help those of us on the spectrum. You need more companies like Microsoft, who's got a literally program for those who are on the spectrum. But the problem is they want the top of the top on the spectrum, those who only have autism, not who have autism and other disorders. Do you want right. people who are like geniuses? Right. And it's crazy to me to think because, you know, I have a kid, I, there was a kid I went to college with who was so good with computers and so good with like knowing, you know, what's the new model, what needs to be fixed in it, what needs to be put right in it. And in my head, I'm like, if this kid doesn't work for Microsoft or Apple or Google in like 20 years, then I, I don't know what you're doing. Because he, he was that smart to, like, understand a system and pick it up quickly. Like, mind-blowing how good he was with it. I, and I think those type of bigger companies need to at least expand something to let them do, like, even the small little data work. Like, if a mm-hmm. kid can figure it out, let them do it. We it's, need more. Go on. It's just one of those things I feel and it's one of those things I stand by for. Yeah. We need more companies to say, hey, we're willing to, we want to create programs for those on the spectrum. We want to help them get work. Mm -hmm. Because like I said before, it's a catch 22 these days. You can't get a job unless you have experience and you can't get experience and you have a job. And it's really a gamble now of the company saying, hey, we want to take that chance and hire you to see what you can do. Right. I mean, I'll tell you this. I I love coaching lacrosse. I'm actually I had the opportunity this year where Francesco's like, well, why don't you apply and actually push for it? And I'm like, I don't know, because of this and that. He goes, so just do it. Like, that's all he said was just like my life coach said, just do it. And, you know, I did. I did it. And I was fortunate enough that a local college took a, took a chance on me to be an assistant coach as a volunteer to start. But with the work that I've been putting in, they, they see the progress I, I'm giving them. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, I, I tell people all the time, lacrosse or helping people on the spectrum is a job that I would want forever. Like, I would be the happiest person working at a, a school where I could, you know, help the next generation. But if I get to coach lacrosse on the side, I'm, I'm the happiest person. Yeah, it's so cool. I mean, it was sort of like my nephew in a sense, because he he was a successful basketball player in high school and everything. Mm-hmm. And then, lo and behold, he winds up having a problem with his ankle Ooh. where he had to have a, a surgery on it because something to do 
with stimulation and growth and everything. And it took him out of the game, but he never let that stop him. He showed up at every game in his outfit. He helped a coach with writing plays and you talked to the players and you told them, and he wound up getting the coaches award at the end of the year. God bless. I, I mean, but you know, it's amazing. Cause do you remember that kid from Rochester, New York, who hit, who was like a bench player for all those years on a water boy. And then he finally got that chance to play and he hit like five threes in a row. No. All right. If you ever get a chance to look it up, it was up in Rochester, New York. He was really, I, you know, I tell people he was really the first kid on the spectrum that made the news of hitting all these crazy shots. Now, when a kid on the spectrum does something like scoring a touchdown or doing this or doing that, it's like, oh, these these kids are pretty decent athletes. But after that, it's like, what are they doing afterwards? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I have one friend who is like, I think Special Olympics needs to be more competitive. I'm like, well, how more competitive can it be? <laughs> I'm like, it's pretty competitive. But like, he's like, no, he's like, he's like, there's those local Special Olympic ones. And then there are the ones you see on TV. He's like, I think the ones you see on TV need to be pushed more like the actual Olympics. And I look at him, I'm like, well, I think it is. I think those local Olympic events are what it's what preparing those guys to be on TV. Cause it's like you telling him, it's like, well, what about the parallel, the parallel Olympics? It's the same thing. Well, if you think about it, it's basically the local, the local special Olympics is actually just like the regular Olympics when they're doing their trials and everything else. Right. It's not televised because it's not big enough until you do you hit the nationals and then it, you're, it's like the actual Olympics. Right. You know, what was really cool too at Special Olympics was the fact that Saudi Arabia hosted it mm. that year. I actually had tears in my eye because I looked at it like, wow, we're opening up our community to now the world of showing everyone around the world can be an athlete, but do it in another country. Yeah. And that, and I brought like such, not even just tears, it brought such pride. Like I, I mean, my, my mother even says like, I could have probably done special Olympic stuff, but at that point in my life, I already did football. I already did lacrosse. Like I was playing with people not on the spectrum. So I looked at it like, I want to give them that shining light. If I I went back to be a coach or if I went back for another type of a team thing that I could be on, then sure. I, I give it a shot. I mean, I have a friend who doesn't know if he's on the spectrum or not, but his parents sent him to one of them specialized schools for those who have the disability. Mm -hmm. And he literally went, he literally was part of the Special Olympics and he competed and he's got all these trophies and all these medals and stuff. And I'm looking at him, I'm like, you realize half the other people you competed with are on a lower level than you. You're almost showboating them. Right. My my old roommate actually told me he did Special Olympics and he was in swimming and he won a bunch of medals too. So I'm like, why aren't you like trying to go for the big national Special Olympic where you could be on TV? Uh, I feel like I could beat anyone. <laughs> but I said to him, but what about well, but those guys that are actually on the on the TV one, those they train every day. Mm-hmm. He was still that confident, and I was like, "Okay, it's like you let me know when you beat someone from the TV, and I'll and I'll be happy to sit there and watch." Mm. Yeah, you know, Reed. I think the biggest thing for me now is 
we are in such a new millennium and new generation where it's like we for us, we were the guinea pigs. Yeah, we we kind of were the the guinea pigs that got thrown everything at us and we've had to catch them. Now, with this new generation, it's like, you know, there's definitely some things that are easier for them. But there's still those doors that are still closed that we're still trying to break open. Yeah. I mean, we're still fighting a war. I mean, our country is so ass backwards and that the people are still afraid of autism because they don't know how to deal with it and how to deal with those of us on it. And they're so afraid and everyone's walking on eggshells. It's like, come on, half the other half this world is already ahead of us and dealing with it properly. Why can't you we be like that? Right. And, you know, I look at it too like we we have the potential of doing great things. The question is, when is our country and the people in our country going to finally let that door open? Yeah. Because, you know, when I went to the program I went to, it showed me what we can do. But once you leave college, you're back at, at square one with them. Mm-hmm. It's like, Really? It's like throwing you into life and saying, see if you can swim. Literally. Literally. I mean, when I was in college, I felt I had no stress, no worries except class. Yep. And then my free time. And then the minute I graduated and went home after my travels, it's like the real life just hits you in the face. And it's like, what now? Right. And that's when. Go on. That's when my mother, after I got let go from the field, my mother's like, start your blog. You have so much to offer the world. You've done so much. Share with the world what you've done and let pe- and let other people know that they're, you're there to help them. And that's what I did. I started. And then somewhere along the line, I lost my father. And, and I was just in this deep hole. And that's when I started to look for help. And that's when I found Francesco and Jacqueline. Yeah, I, you know, I'm in that same boat too. I lost my father around my college years. I actually had to read his eulogy, and then right after that, I had to go back to school to read my graduation speech. Ugh. Right. I mean, I got through it, but I, I think, I think the one thing that really pushed for that is because he would not want me to be to dwell on him on my on like my graduation day and that's kind of how i looked at that that day but you know got through it um but I mean, you know yeah. back, back to like just with autism itself you know it's funny you said that about starting this blog thing because i've actually you know my mom and i've been wanting to write this book about my life and how, what we went through to get to where we are oh my and god I, it sounds like same exact story my mom has been pushing me to do she's like before even the blog it's like why don't you write a book about your life? You have so much. And you should. We got to get together, Brandon. You and your oh. mother and me and my mother. Oh, definitely at some point, once this whole COVID thing is done. Yeah, I would love to get together with you and just chew the fat and have our mothers talk. Oh, yeah. You know, I think, I think my ultimate goal in life would be to see, you know, what, what's the next step to help people on the spectrum? You know, what, what's the next thing that we or just the world needs to do? Yeah, I it, mean, 
it's a huge step. I mean, for our country to literally admit autism is a real thing and people need to be trained to be taken care of it. I mean, you look at what's going on with how cops treat us right now in this country and in other countries. It's a whole other different side of things. It's giving all the good cops a bad reputation because one bad cop did something to someone who's autistic and everyone thinks, oh, great, cops treat autistics badly. You know, it's funny you said that. So we actually in New York, there is an there is an opportunity or not opportunity, but someone offered of a possibility of having your driver's license with the autism puzzle puzzle on it. Now, at first, I was kind of like, you know what? It's a good idea, but it's also a bad idea. Yes. Because I don't need to be pulled over. And then some cop looks at my thing and says, oh, well, you have a nice day. And then really doesn't really it's like i get the reason but i think it's a bad reason because i don't need to be branded that like all right he has autism we don't need that it's sort of like um when you initially get your diagnosis and you get that label of being autistic it's like oh great i'm gonna be labeled disabled right and the country's gonna look at me different Right. You don't you don't need that. What you need is to be pushed to what you're you can do, but also help that next group. Mm-hmm. I, I think by the time that, you know, we hit that later stage in life, you know, maybe there is going to be more opportunities. But it, for us, it's we still have to make that push to happen because I, I just look at it like this. It's like I said before, the 50s, the 60s, where people grew up with what we had was a lot harder for them. Mm-hmm. The 80s and the 90s, we finally kind of had our vocal rights and we and we pushed for busing transportation. We pushed for this. We pushed for the handicap thing. And it, it worked. We are now in such a new era where it's like well, now it's time to give these people a job that they can be happy with and not just work in a grocery store and not just work in, you know, the small job that no one else wants. And that's how I feel. I feel like there are so many of us out there who can do what they want to do, but it's given that opportunity. I personally think, and I think I've told this to Francesco one time or another, I think there are more of us out there than there are of the NTs in the world. Absolutely. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure there, it's more of a 90% ratio almost, even 80 or 70% of us are autistic and the rest are all NTs. So mm-hmm. people just don't know it. Right. And I also think like people who are learning about it now, it's like, oh, wow, I didn't know this about that. Well, it's because no one teaches it to them in elementary or middle school or high school. Yeah. By high school, when they teach to you, they're teaching it to more of the people on the lower functioning. Yeah. I mean, one of the interesting things now is some of the people I've talked with, like mm-hmm. the mother who's got a son on the spectrum, she got both her kids tested when they were very young. Yeah. And another mother did the same thing. She had their kids tested when they were young. So a lot of testing now starts early. Mm-hmm. Where back in the days, people didn't know and they get tested later in life. No, right. I, I will say this, but, and I even just thought of this. You know, when people think autism, though, they, they think lower functioning. They don't yes. think – which – I get in a lot of ways, but at the same time, it's like, you got to open your eyes. Yeah. I mean, when people think autistic, I mean, now 
people think lower end because they're thinking <laughs> retardation. They're thinking <laughs> downs. Right. And, you know, it's also if you think of it this way, too, if you the movie um, Gil, what's eating Gilbert Gilbert's like grapes or you know what I mean? Yeah. With DiCaprio and all of them, like I saw that movie the first time and I said to myself, like, well, not all autistic people are like that. No. Brain Man of Dustin Hoffman. Great movie. It shows what like that there are some that are very good at math. But again, it's, you know, instead of. And I get what they were doing, but at the time now looking at it, it's like, well, why can't you have an actual person on the spectrum be an actor? Yeah. Like some of that stuff could actually be benefit for them. And I, mean, and I remember one of my friends loved the show Glee. And when they finally had a girl, the girl on there who had Down syndrome, I was like, all right, this is a huge stepping point for, for our community. Down syndrome or autism or high functioning, like that, that's a huge step. You need TV shows with those of us on the spectrum and on both lower and higher spec and on on the spectrum, so you can show both sides of it. Right. Like I think when you watch, well, I've I've been watching The Good Doctor, and the actor that plays him, I think, is so good at showing like his sensitivity level, how smart he is, you know, what he had to do to become a doctor and yada yada. I think it's great. And I think it gives hope that like, Oh, maybe my son or daughter could be a doctor. But at the same time, I feel like there still needs to be some type of realistic things in shows like that. You need, you actually need someone on the spectrum who can actually portray it better, who can actually show you what those symptoms look like. Mm -hmm. Someone acting them. You get someone on the spectrum who literally lives through them who can actually show it out more better, if that makes sense. Oh, it does make sense. I think, again, I think there the opportunity is there. It's just finally, when are we going to let it open? And when are we going to like really show people what people on the spectrum can do? I think it, it's, it's going to take time. I mean, we have to get to the point where people are comfortable with those of us on the spectrum and mm-hmm. the world needs to open up more. Right. I mean, it's like you said, people in Europe and, and even some people out in the other countries in the Middle East and Asia, you know, they are, they are looking what's best for their child. I mean, I did a four part series on dating and relationships. And I talked with four different experts mm-hmm. dealing with who've dealt with people on the spectrum and I've taught, I actually talked with a woman who works in a clinic, a, a willing, a like health clinic and stuff. She's actually started a dating program for those on the spectrum and where they help teach, where they answer questions and they talk about their dates and they help them with what to do afterwards and what to do if your date's not doesn't want to go out the second time. I mean, that's a huge step. If we can do something like that here where we can help those of us on the spectrum with dating issues, it would be a big step for the U.S. Absolutely. And I think, you know, and it goes back to with love on the spectrum because Australia can have programs like that for speed dating and for this and for that. And I'm like, well, if Australia can do that, why can't we do that? So I I think the opportunity is there. It's we got to find someone or something that's going to make that push. 
And I think what's, what's really holding it back right now, and I'm not even going to say COVID because COVID's on a lot of things. I think what really needs to happen is someone needs to just kind of talk to the community in that sense. And I'm not saying low functioning. I mean, they need to meet someone who has a high functioning on the spectrum and they just need to hear us out and hear what ideas that we could give that could pop, that could definitely work. That's why I'm trying to, I don't know if it'll ever be successful. I want to get the, our president elect and vice presidents on the show and talk to them and say, Hey, listen, I want to become your advocate for the autism world. Mm-hmm. I've done so much with my life. I know so many people. I've talked with so many people. I want to help you help those who are on the spectrum, either low or high, and come up with a working program for for the U.S. And I want and I want to talk to them about it and see what we can get done. I agree. I think that that would be a huge step. I also think there needs to be. Someone once asked me, they're like, how would you feel about a someone like kind of like what you did in a broad program in another country? And I said, like, you know, as crazy it sounds, I think it could work. But I think you need to build that relationship with one of those universities in those Mm -hmm. countries, Uh, because that's the only way that they can really do the abroad program. I mean, one of the things I did and I made sure I did, I mean, I just didn't go abroad. I made sure they had a disability program. Mm-hmm. And the first thing I did was once I chose the school I accepted to, I literally the first fi- the first email out was to their disability department, and I th- put it right out in front of them. I said, "Hi, my name is Reed Miles. I am such and such years old. I am on the spectrum. I'm high functioning. These are the things I can use. What can you? How can you help me once I'm there?" Mm-hmm. And it w- and they were great. My disability advisor maybe a month before I headed out would said, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to call you once a week. We're going to have a talk for an hour and we're going to talk about things you're nervous about things to look forward to. And we're going to set up a meeting once a week, once you're here and until you graduate. I think that's a thing that they need to have, especially, you know, it's great. Amazing too, is I don't know if you know this. So Rutgers university in Syracuse started programs for people on the spectrum. So it's like, you're giving them that opportunity to go to college and it's an in-state. So now what I think needs to happen after that is, you know, what, what jobs, like what big corporate is going to give these kids a chance or, you know, what do they have to do to show that they can do it? Cause like I said, I think there's a lot of scientifically autistic people who could definitely work for companies like Google, Apple, maybe Instagram, maybe Twitter that can do it. It's just, I don't know. I just feel like for the big corporate jobs, they're, it's still kind of like sh- shut a t- shunned upon. I mean, there was a whole program. I think it was on 60 Minutes on mm. Microsoft's program. And it's not just some little rinky-dink program. I mean, they have housing for those who are on the spectrum. They have mentoring. So you will talk with somebody and ask, will help you get through your day. I mean, they have a whole community just for those on the spectrum that are part, they're working for them and are part of this program. So they went out then did the homework. I mean, you need companies like that to say, we're willing to take that chance and hire you. 
and we understand that you're on the spectrum and we want to work with you and stuff. I mean, I talked with a kid who went to work for a company for, uh, as a, um, for school as a internship and his boss was so understanding. He told me of him being on the spectrum to things like that. The understanding of the fact that lights hurt his eyes. He's got a light sensitivity and stuff to the factor where they have a meeting, they'll lower the lights or even have that meeting in the dark mm-hmm. just to work with him. So he, so he's comfortable. Right. And that, that's big. You know, and I also like the fact that you're willing to go out there to try to speak to the president and the vice president, because that is important. I, I think now we are at it once everything is official and once President Biden's in, I think, you know, even having yourself or me or one other person to kind of talk to him about what needs to be next for the country after the economy, it's what's going to be the next thing for the people on the spectrum, because even in politics, they always leave us out to dry. They don't yes. bring they don't bring anything up until the last minute. And it's like, well, like, come on, you're, you're trying to get this group and that group. And then when it comes to us, it's like, well, they're going to vote for us either way. Like, come on, guy. I mean, I would love to have you be a part of the show, a regular part, like once every other week or something where we can just talk about random topics. Oh yeah, definitely. We can set that up, but yeah, Mm -hmm. I mean, if we can, that's the problem. I think we are put aside because people don't recognize autism yet. And like I said, it's still something new to this world that people don't want to take the effort to talk about. Right. And I think what needs to be pushed is once everything's settled, it's time to kind of show what we can do because, you know, we, we've been going through this battle for the last over 50 something years, you know, now it's time for that next step. And even maybe creating more programs for, for colleges or high schools or just afterwards, like the, the more programs that we can help, the more independent I think these young men and women can be. I think if we can help more, you have more and more kids coming out who are on the spectrum willing to step forward and say, hey, I'm willing to take the chance with you if you're willing to take the chance with me. Absolutely. It's all about training. I mean, you we need to train these companies that say, hey, listen, you are going to have people who are going to apply to jobs at your company who are on the spectrum. You need to have a certain sensitivity level and a certain training level to understand how to work with them instead of working against them and making their lives miserable. Right. Absolutely. Ooh, absolutely. Um, what was I going to You know, I, I think one of the things I want to kind of like leave off with after this is for people that are listening, just know like, yes, the way I talk and the way I act and the way that I, I kind of approach myself is great. But I had a lot of support. I had a lot, I had a lot of help. And most importantly, I had a family and friends that really pushed me to be where I am. So for, for that young man or girl or boy or woman who is looking for that push or is listen or is listening out there, just, just know that you're not alone. And, you know, 
we're going to be mm-hmm. do this together. And, you know, it's just going to take one day at a time. My sentiment, exactly. You're not alone. You have so many people like you and me and everyone else pushing to, to be there for you, to support you in every effort you make. And you guys, please contact me if you ever need a question answered or you want some help trying to talk to your parents. We're not professionals, but we are there to help you. Absolutely. It was great talking with you, Brandon. Great. It was, it was you know, a pleasure to be on. I'm, I'm Hopefully we can do more stuff like this in the future and really help that next generation. You can live just to please someone